Welcome to the Adelphoi podcast. Adelphoi is a music production company based in London and Amsterdam, and we do music and sound design for audio branding and commercials worldwide. This podcast series is an offshoot of the work that I do there, but it's more about me trying to look at audio branding critically and finding a way through the flim-flam and hype to get to some solid ground. I'm Jamie Masters, and I'm speaking to you in the spring of 2021. This is the fourth and final part of my mini-series on Sonic Logos, and particularly the kind of Sonic Logos designed for TV and radio ads. And, as promised, in this episode, I'm talking about repetition. Of course, audio branding doesn't exist without repetition. That's the point of it. Some audio element that comes back on every ad, even though everything else might change. So you've got a transcendent audio emblem representing the brand, as you do with a graphic logo. That's Stadia. In a way, the case for audio branding comes down to recognising the value of certain kinds of repetition. Repetition means consistency. A brand identity thrives on consistency and coherence. The trouble is, repetition is not something we fully embrace in our culture. We tend to think of it as being a bit suspect. We value creativity, originality and innovation. And just repeating stuff is none of those things. That's Stadia. Again. Good, isn't it? I'm sure anyone in the advertising world would agree that you can't manage without some repetition, but as a necessary evil. And we're just not that comfortable with the thought that repetition is a decisive factor, on a level with creativity. I've made the point in some previous episodes that sonic logos like the Intel bongs and McDonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba owe a large part of their success to persistent, prominent exposure over many years. And I don't think that's particularly controversial. I mean, repetition clearly played a role, and both brands invested heavily in getting their Sonic logos heard. A lot. And that feels like an important thing to say, because, from my observation... Not all the companies that go in for audio branding seem to have understood that half of the equation. A Sonic logo is not a silver bullet. It's not a door to a better world. It's just a tool. And it's a tool that needs to be used consistently. Otherwise, it makes no difference at all how distinctive, how catchy or how authentic it is. But it's weird, some brands seem to be so embarrassed about repeating their Sonic logos, they do everything they can to avoid it, or avoid being caught doing it. So, am I just saying, more repetition, more success? Well, basically, yes. All other things being equal, more repetition is better than less repetition. But if I were a brand... Here's what I would be wondering. Uh, Well, actually, I am a brand. Ah, okay. And 
I am wondering about one or two things. Right. Uh, so? Well, first of all, what's a brand to do if it can't afford to just, you know, put out hundreds of ads like McDonald's does? Yeah. Be- does that make the whole idea pointless? Of course not, because it's... Well, uh, yeah, yeah, second, second. Uh, if you do keep repeating the Sonic logo, aren't people just going to get sick of hearing it? And well, start hating it and hating the brand? Not, well, not, uh, wait, not, no, not really. Number no. three, are you saying that it doesn't make any difference what you choose as a Sonic logo. Could be anything. Could be, you know... Uh, It could be... (laughs) And all it comes down to is how much you repeat it. Um, Could be... Yeah. Let me take those... Let me take those uh, uh, one at a time. Okay. First, no, you don't have to make as many ads as McDonald's to make audio branding worthwhile. Well, that's a relief. But you do have to have the exposure of McDonald's to get the kind of recognition that McDonald's gets. Right. And those are two different things. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, second, yes, it's certainly possible for people to get bored with hearing the same thing repeated over and over again. I'm telling me. But in advertising, we're not normally exposed to a particular audio branding asset that often in that way. So if people do get irritated, there's almost certainly some other factor causing the problem. Well, maybe. And even then, I'm not sure that's inevitably bad for the brand. Right. Third, yes, of course it makes a difference what a Sonic logo sounds like. Any sound you choose will have a meaning. Even... It'll have connotations and associations. It will say something about your brand. And that can either enhance or impair the basic lift you get from repetition. Right, OK. That's, that's, that's your answer, is it? Those are the simple answers, yes. If you want to know the thinking behind them and get a sense of some of the issues and complexities... Yeah. Stay tuned. Will do. That's where we're going next. OK. It's sort of inevitable, when you start looking into repetition in marketing, that you run into something in psychology called the mere exposure effect. It's called the mere exposure effect. The mere exposure mere exposure. The mere exposure effect. In its simplest form, it's usually expressed as the more you encounter something, the more you like it. Or you tend to prefer things that you're more familiar with. Either way you put it, it's actually a pretty old idea. And certainly the advertising industry from the earliest days was very keen on repetition of all kinds as a basic marketing tool. Repetition of the brand name and key product selling points within a single ad, like this one from the 1950s. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffle. I'm sorry about this, I just can't resist it. It's like... It's rich. Poetry. Its colour is golden yellow. And what a pie it is. Pie. Richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing. Is it golden? I love fluffo. It makes such a golden brown pie. Oh man, is it that's pie? some apple pie. Is it yellow? This yellow fluffo is such a short, short. Is it rich? It makes pie crust so rich. Get richer looking, better tasting, more appetizing results in everything you bake or fry. Get golden fluffo. And as well as that, uh, more interesting from our point of view, there's repetition of the ads themselves 
and just getting that brand name out in as many ways as possible over weeks and months and years. But it was in the 1960s that Robert Zajonc, that's spelt Zajonc, it's a Polish name, uh, he was a psychologist at the University of Michigan, and he got interested in repetition as a thing in itself. And he published a seminal paper in 1968 called The Attitudinal Effects of Mere Exposure, and it's from him that we get the term mere exposure effect. Now, he starts his paper with a cute little story from a local newspaper. Uh, since Robert Zions is no longer with us, I've got Ashley here to be him. A mysterious student has been attending a class at Oregon State University for the past two months, enveloped in a big black bag. Only his bare feet show. Each Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 11am, the black bag sits on a small table near the back of the classroom. Charles Goetzinger, professor of the class, knows the identity of the person inside. None of the 20 students in the class do. Goetzinger said the student's attitude changed from hostility towards the black bag to curiosity and finally to friendship. Now, that little anecdote is just an appetizer, and Zions's paper goes on to focus rather narrowly on, well, things that can actually be measured in the lab and put into numbers and made into graphs. But it does illustrate the idea quite nicely, which is, as he puts it, Mere repeated exposure of the individual to a stimulus is a sufficient condition for the enhancement of his attitude towards it. Yeah, well, maybe that's a bit opaque. Uh, so yes, people tend to have a better attitude to things if they've already encountered them a few times. Better attitude seems to mean liking or preference or something. And the point of calling it mere exposure is liking it has nothing to do with the qualities of the stimulus itself. The stimulus can be meaningless, it can be a black bag. All that matters is the fact that it gets repeated. And that's what Zions managed to show through a series of experiments in which he exposed people to stimuli like odd-looking words and abstract images. The mere exposure effect is what they call a robust effect, which means that results similar to Zionces have been reported subsequently in other lab experiments over the years, hundreds of them, with different stimuli, including audio stimuli, and under various kinds of conditions. And that's about as close to a done deal as you get in psychology. There are several slightly different theories about exactly what causes it, in why we have this favourable attitude to things that are repeated. But no one doubts that the effect exists, and everyone agrees that something real and significant is happening. So it's a tremendous temptation to take that result and run with it. Repetition makes you like things? Great! How much repetition do we need? Ten times? 
20 times? Uh, in mid-2005, the average consumer needed to be exposed to a brand about 5.6 times to be able to approach and start talking to a business about their products and services. And they're predicting between 2018 and 2020, it's going to be between 18 to 20 exposures that are required for someone to actually reach out and contact the business. And of course, it's not going to be as simple as that. But if I can just step aside from the more grotesque misapplications of the idea, I think the experiments do offer good evidence of a basic psychological tendency to favour things that come up repeatedly. Something fundamental about how our brains handle incoming sensory information. Some special status given to stimuli that we've encountered before. And of course, that's going to sound all the more convincing because it chimes with what we experience in the real world. We often find ourselves warming to things, or people, that we didn't particularly like the first time. As I said, this is actually an old idea, let's say an old intuition. And there you go, the psychologists have tested it and found some truth in it. Meanwhile, one useful thing, and to be honest, the only really surprising thing that emerged from experiments done on mere exposure was that the effect works for a visual image even if you just show it subliminally, for a fraction of a second, too quickly for anyone to consciously take it in. And some other experiments have been done in which you don't limit the time, but you give your participants a bogus task which forces them to focus on something else, so the image is only visible peripherally. You can do something similar for musical stimuli too. So, we're looking into the impact of ice cream on intelligence. So you've had your ice cream, yes? Yeah. Now, just checking. Was it the strawberry or the chocolate? It was the strawberry. Good, good. Now, the audio track we're about to play you is an excerpt from a radio play that was actually broadcast some years ago. And we'd like you to press this red button every time you hear someone say a word which contains the letter O. You might not catch everyone, but it's very important that you pick up as many as you possibly can. Is that all right? Yeah. So just press this button? That's right. Now, if you're quite ready, let me run the tape. I don't believe it. Are you telling me that Bob was the head of the whole operation? But that means... No. We've been running around in circles this whole time, and the gold is right under our noses. And of course the point is the background music. After the exposures, you could test your participants later to see if they recognised the... And they'd say they didn't, but they would still tend to give that one a higher score than others that they'd been exposed to less or never heard before. That's sort of how the tests were done. And that was a big deal because it showed that people weren't liking things because they were making a conscious judgement about them. It must be some kind of pre-conscious automatic response. And that was what Zionce was interested in. 
Common sense says that we like things for a reason. Zions was turning that idea on its head and suggesting that the liking can come first, before reason even has a chance to get involved. And checking with my intuition, I can well believe that repetition might work on me without my being aware of it, especially for something like music. People often talk about how it's possible to get hooked on a pop song from its being on the radio in the background. For me, as a teenager, it was more about classical music. Um, Every few weeks, I'd go to the record library and take out a new bunch of LPs. And some of that stuff is quite hard to get into, so you know, I'd get them home and I'd put them on. And just having them playing in the background while I was doing other stuff was the easiest way to get to a point where they'd be familiar enough to enjoy listening to them properly. A bit like breaking in a new pair of shoes. So I just left it to my unconscious to sort that out for me. That was a voluntary arrangement, but I assume the same thing happens for music we don't consciously choose, like the proverbial radio in the background. And the bottom line here is that our awareness is a limited resource and there's only so much it can focus on at a time. And meanwhile, there's an unremitting stream of sensory data coming into our brains, and we just couldn't manage it all if it wasn't being processed unconsciously. And what Zions and others have shown is that repetition is one of those things that gets processed at that very low, unconscious level, and it generates effects like familiarity and liking without needing to trouble our awareness. So, thinking about our questions again, we tend to think of recall and recognition as being key values for a sonic logo, but this actually suggests that you don't need to be aware of a sonic logo for it to have a positive effect when you're exposed to it. Professionally, we get much more excited about the ones that we do notice, McDonald's, Intel, Danone. And we tend to treat them as if they were the only really successful ones. But they're not typical. They're well known because their brands invested heavily in getting them noticed and used them on every ad internationally, year on year. Those are the ones that get the high levels of explicit recall. People can identify them, they can sometimes sing them. And yes, that's a remarkable achievement. And yes, it's very valuable. But it's not the only way audio branding works. Not even the principal way. Meanwhile, there's a whole other level of audio branding where explicit recall is low or non-existent, but those audio assets are plugging away at us under the radar. That includes the ones that, in tests, people think they recognise, but can't quite put their finger on the name. I think most audio branding is like that. Most normal people don't notice Sonic logos. There are thousands of them, and only a few ever really come out from the shadow. For sonic logos that aren't heard so much, it's maybe useful to know that liking increases most at the very earliest stage. 
that's because there's a positive logarithmic effect. Liking increases more sharply at low numbers of repetitions, but begins to level off at higher numbers of repetitions. That makes sense. It's a very human thing, you know. There's a big difference between hearing something once and hearing it two or three times. Later on, like when you've heard it 20 times, the 21st time isn't going to make so much difference. And it might take another 20 times just to push your liking up one notch. All the same, in theory, it does just keep getting higher and higher, just at a slower and slower rate, so takes exponentially more repetitions to give you an improvement. So that means that any sonic logo starts having a positive effect quite early on, when levels of exposure are still low. So you don't need to aim for McDonald's level spending to make the whole idea worthwhile, but it also means that McDonald's level spending isn't a waste of time if you can afford it, because diminishing returns or not, the positive effect does keep increasing. Based on that, a very crude answer to our questions would be no, it doesn't matter what the Sonic logo is, just keep repeating it and people will get to like it more and more. So, is that true? Well, I think the only fair answer is yes and no. Look, the yes part is all those times you ever heard something daft and lateral standing for the brand, like, you know, the Aflac duck. Aflac! There certainly seems to be a lot of room for brands to experiment with stuff you just wouldn't expect, you know, stuff that doesn't fit with the brand values in any obvious way. Simples! And maybe something like... <laughs> would work for some brand Oi. somewhere. Oi, that's my Sonic logo. Yeah, I know. It's just an example. Well, you can't have it. It's mine. No, that's fine. Be my guest. But there's another side to this that we need to look at before we can throw all caution to the winds. Tell you what, I'm going to leave that hanging for now because it's about time for a break. Things are about to get just a little more complicated. It's catchy though, isn't it? What? <laughs> Yeah, well... I mean, that could be worth something. Yeah, let's let's take a break. There's only so much that a person can take We're having this break for your sanity's sake Let your mind wander a moment We'll be back in a bit That feels good, doesn't it? Now I'm sure that you're raring to go it's time to get on with the show. OK, so where are we? We've got some scientific evidence to support the idea that if people hear a Sonic logo over and over, that has some sort of positive effect, even if they don't notice it. And I think that is broadly true. But there's a part of the story that I've been missing out. In experiments on mere exposure, the usual pattern is that liking increases at first, then sort of flattens out, that's the positive logarithmic thing, 
and then actually starts to decrease. You'll often hear this referred to as an inverted U-shaped response. Just imagine a letter U upside down. Or this sound effect. So maybe there's a limit to how many times you should repeat things. Maybe repetition has a negative side, like when you hear something so much that you get sick of it and start hating it. Well, yeah, that's what I was asking about. And, and you said... Uh, yeah, look... And you said just, there was just, no problem. Uh, I, I, I did say that. And, and yeah, just... I'm just going to try and explain why. All right. So, so yes, this, this idea that we go off things if we listen to them too much, is pretty common. I mean, here's a, here's a quote from music psychologist Elizabeth Margulis, read by my mum. Imagine a song you hated the first time you heard it on the radio or in a lobby somewhere. But as it keeps getting played and replayed, every time you hear it, its allure subtly grows. Eventually, it might sneak its way guiltily onto your playlist. In the end, however, if you've heard it too many times over a short span of time, you may once again start to realise why you hated it in the first place. I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Margulis, by the way. I read her recent book on musical repetition. It's called On Repeat, and I thought it was amazingly good. But I have serious problems with this one paragraph. I absolutely agree that hearing a song repeatedly tends to make me like it, even if I didn't particularly like it at first. But the bit about hearing it so many times that I start hating it again, I I don't recognise that. In fact, I have trouble thinking of any piece of music that I now hate solely because I heard it too many times. I mean, I literally can't think of any. What I do recognise is that, well, first of all, I do avoid listening to tracks that I'm very familiar with from having listened to them a lot. But that really is a very different thing from hating them. It's more a kind of strategic withdrawal, like I've over-harvested them and I need to give them a break. And it doesn't mean that I won't come back to those tracks later on, maybe from a different perspective or in a different context, and still have a very strong, positive feeling about them. And I think there's clearly a limit to how much repetition we'll put up with in a given time span and in a given context. So there is something in us that needs variety and less familiar experiences. And if we have too much repetition, we can get restless and resentful and, well, bored because we're not being allowed to explore different things. But just to be clear, there's no real prospect of any Sonic logo being repeated often enough to actually bore anyone like that. Especially since they're so short. You know, we don't hear them like, like this. We just hear them occasionally, from time to time for a couple of seconds. But actually, I think the problem with repetition is not repetition itself. It's the where and the when and the what and the why. 
You know, if it's a track I really detest. For instance, something inside me flinches every time I hear this TV theme tune. That's Game of Thrones, of course. And why I hate it is because of a personal aesthetic which somehow this piece manages to offend on several levels simultaneously. I quite like the TV show, it's just the music I can't stand. And it bothers me that it's so popular. And I hear it all over the place. I once had to play it in an orchestra. Or, different example, back in the day when we had Top of the Pops on TV every week, and they'd always end the show with the current number one. But, you know, there were some songs that just seemed to stay at number one forever. This one, for instance. That was on every show for months on end. And as far as I was concerned, there was nothing wrong with the song. But hearing the same one every week was not what I was there for. For sure, I got irritated that the buying public couldn't just get over this one and move on to something else. Funny that I was perfectly happy to hear the Top of the Pops theme tune every week. And even got a bit sad when they changed it from time to time. This is my Top of the Pops. My generation. That's class, that is. And I've spoken before about how the repetition of cinema and TV themes can condition us in that Pavlovian way to respond with positive emotions. That kind of repetition never goes sour. I mean, the effect can wear out if you keep playing the theme tune but not the show. But since you usually do see the show with the theme tune, repetition just continues to reinforce the positive association. And the point of these anecdotes is that when we think of repetition as being irritating, what we're really getting irritated about is not the repetition itself. It's something else going on in our heads. For instance, it's our resentment at our own loss of agency. You know, we're having these repetitions imposed on us in some way by whoever it is that makes these decisions chooses this kind of music, someone who doesn't have as good taste as us or isn't on our wavelength, someone incompetent or thoughtless or unimaginative or naff, or maybe it's just a machine, a computer. And we're frustrated that we're being deprived of better, more interesting options. And let me say, these are all quite sophisticated reactions They're the kind of reactions that need quite a lot of mental processing. They're tied up with our whole sense of who we are and how we fit into the culture around us. I I don't want to imply that our brains are any slouches in that department. That kind of mental calculation is meat and drink for big brains like ours. But I do want to suggest that it's more complex and probably more conscious than the effect of mere exposure. So in other words, I'm saying repetition has a simple, low-level effect that's always positive, and in principle, it's unconscious. 
But as you become aware of what you're hearing, then your conscious judgment can start throwing its weight around, checking that this new preference you've begun to form fits with your personal set of values, like what counts as good music. And there's no real way of telling which way that's going to go. Could be good, could be bad. It's going to depend on the content and the context and the personal values of whoever it is that's listening. But actually there's every indication that while that's going on, repetition is still working its quiet little magic. I think that's the conclusion Zions came to about the inverted U-shaped response, that repetition does always have a positive effect. It's just that other things, cognitive and environmental, get in the way. So you can think of this as an ongoing battle between repetition effects and judgment, with repetition always pushing liking up, and judgment often pushing it back down again. Are you kidding? This is awful. And you might wonder who wins in the end. But I think the answer is that we're really talking about different levels of liking. There's explicit liking. It's what you can say you like, which is something your judgment can get behind and you're aware of it. And that awareness is itself a pleasant feeling. And there's something else which is implicit which operates in the shadow. And I haven't got a clever name for it, but it's, it's the warmth of familiarity. And different kinds of liking push and pull in different ways, all at the same time. Has this ever happened to you? A tune comes to mind. Maybe spontaneously, maybe you hear it on the radio from another room and you're immediately attracted to it. You know you must have heard it before, but for a few seconds you can't remember whether you love it or hate it. Oh no, it's bloody Brian Adams! That's happened to me many times. And each time, for those few seconds, a layer of conscious judgment is peeled away and I can feel the warmth of familiarity underneath it. So for me the answer is neither side wins exactly. Conscious judgment can be a positive or a negative force and any audio branding asset, once people realise that it's there, is going to be judged on a wide range of cultural criteria, and it might be found wanting. Plus, every audio asset tells a story about the brand, and that's not something you want to leave to chance. So it does matter what a Sonic logo sounds like, and it can be quite a tricky thing to get right. On the other hand, repetition builds familiarity in a way that's actually quite independent of our explicit liking or disliking. For Sonic logos, repetition brings with it a sense of safety and comfort. And over the long term, it has quite a profound cumulative effect on us. 
a stimulus that's repeated over the long term, transmutes gradually from something ephemeral and temporary into a fixed feature of our world, a permanent cultural marker on our mental map. And I think my main experience of the Sonic logos that I know about, consciously, is that they make the brand feel more real, more legitimate. I accept them as a natural, uncontested part of my world. Which I suppose means they increase salience, they increase the likelihood of that brand being the one I choose when the situation arises, because why wouldn't I? It's reputable. It's the obvious choice. So between repetition and content, between familiarity and judgment, you can expect the function of a Sonic logo to change over its lifetime, as one or other side becomes predominant. At the beginning, it's all about a subtle warmth that comes from growing familiarity, and that's really just down to repetition. But even from a relatively early stage, the content is going to come into its own. For positioning. For the implicit story it tells about your brand. And increasingly, for how it stands up to perception. People will have opinions about it. They'll love it or hate it. And then, in the long term, and I do mean years the content will probably matter less and less. It will lose its power to position the brand, and judgment will become irrelevant because the Sonic logo will have become transparent. You'll hear it, and all you will hear is the brand. And what's left is the familiarity built up through repetition, the sense of permanence, reliability, and repute. Also, there'll be a kind of cultural fluency effect. Being able to recognise cultural memes is in itself a pleasurable thing, and it also gives us a sense of participating in a shared culture. All of which is going to work to the benefit of the brand. That's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But between here and there, a Sonic logo goes on a journey that brings different kinds of rewards at each stage. So let me get this straight. You're saying repetition does win in the end? Yes, in the end. But, you know, it's got to get through the beginning and the middle before it gets to the end. Uh, But the big question for you... What, for me? Yes, for you. Okay. Is what you think a Sonic logo is for. I mean, I'm saying it's multi-purposed, and one of those purposes is to project the brand personality and the brand positioning in a really compact, portable way. And that's the job of the content. But the other purpose is to make the brand feel like a benign fixture in our world. Well, I'm very benign. Something we can turn to when the need arises. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm like. I'm sure you are, but... We're talking about impressions, and that one's pretty much taken care of by repetition. Of all the audio branding assets you could have, Sonic logos seem to be the ones that are optimised for that second function, 
for simple repetition. And that does tend to make the content seem less critical, compared to a sung jingle, for instance. So Sonic logos like Nintendo Switch seem designed to be as near as possible to meaningless stimuli, to take advantage of repetition effects without having to negotiate the treacherous waters of musical judgment. But you can't really avoid being meaningful. Even Nintendo's simple, empty gesture is meaningful. So you can't really avoid having to think carefully about your content. And at the opposite extreme, you've got brands that keep switching their audio identities every few years because they see the musical content as the important thing. So they take advantage of the way content can be used to position the brand and convey a lot of implicit messaging without having to come out and actually say things in words. And Sonic logos are pretty good at that, surprisingly so considering how short they are. But then, if that's your focus, so you end up only thinking in the short to medium term, you're throwing away the long-term effects of simple repetition and the benefits that come with that. To my mind, that's probably the greater loss. So, that's about where I wanted to stop. I don't know if repetition is THE most important factor for Sonic Logos, but for something so simple, something we take so much for granted, it's staggering quite how much of a hold it has over us. Music, for instance, is made out of repetition, repetition with variation. Musical meaning is possible through the associations built up through repetition. Music can condition us to respond emotionally through repetition. And somewhere deep in the inner workings of all that is the simple mechanism of repetition leading to familiarity, leading to a tentative preference. Cool. So that's all from me, Jamie Masters, for today. This podcast is brought to you by Adelphoi Music. Adelphoi Music is an audio production company based in the heart of London and Amsterdam, connecting brands to their audiences through music and sound.